Bible reading tonight comes from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 21, and it's found on page 1019 in the Bibles. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the the conversion of the Gentiles, and they created great joy among all the brothers. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Then the apostles and the elders assembled to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Then the whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets prophets agree with this, as it is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does these things, known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. This is the word of the Lord. Hi there, my name's Dan, I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you before. Great to have you along here this evening. Uh, We're doing things a bit differently uh, this evening, as you might have gathered, if you're a regular here, uh, because it's Compassion Week, sermon up front, a few other bits and pieces, then we'll hear about compassion later in the service. But for now, God's Word, if you've got Acts 15 open, please keep it open. If you've closed your Bibles, open it up. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Lord God, we really uh, do need you to help us um, tonight. We've been singing about your grace, we're going to reflect on your grace, and it's because of that grace that we feel confident to make this prayer. God, please open our eyes, open our hearts and ears, that we might see Jesus, that we might love him, that we might truly hear his word this evening, that we might um, actually respond to you as, we, as you are, um, 
Father, please help us to grasp grace a little more deeply this evening. Amen. Would you look at verse 11 with me from, from Acts chapter 15? It's a key verse. Peter says, on the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. I want to help us believe that tonight. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would use his word to help us believe that verse. We believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Because you don't believe that. I mean, deep down, we struggle to believe that reality. You know, when you get on the train and you see that person with that kind of funny haircut and you sort of, you judge them as being a silly person or something? Or you're in the city, you're walking around and you, and you see someone who's kind of, uh, you know, that they're a beggar and, and you can't help kind of judging them and thinking they're somehow inferior or something. Or perhaps it's their education or, or their fitness or their fashion sense or whatever it is, we cast these judgments and we sort of almost can't help doing it. That's the opposite of grace, right? But we can't help doing it. It's so ingrained in us. People are acceptable or approvable, approved by the things they do by the kind of person they are, by being the right kind of person. That's the opposite of grace. But it's so deeply ingrained in each one of us. And you know what, friends? If you do that, if you judge other people out there, you're also going to be someone who judges yourself by the same kind of criteria. And that'll leave you either feeling proud, I'm a bit all right, aren't I? Or despairing. Maybe you're one of those things right now. Friends, this sort of belief, this sort of approach to the world and to ourselves and to other people is completely the opposite of grace, and yet it's deeply ingrained in us. That's why this debate in Acts 15 is so crucial. That's why this debate has happened again and again and again throughout history. The 5th century, St. Augustine, Pelagius, the 16th century, the Reformers and the Catholic Church, and on and on. And it's why we have to really dig deep into it tonight and every week and all the time because our hearts are so inclined towards law, judgmentalism, earning, deserving, working rather than grace. My prayer is that as we look at this debate this evening, it will convince our hearts a little more of verse 11. That we are saved by grace. And that as a result, you and I would rejoice and be united and go and speak about it. That's my hope. But let me set the scene of what's going on in chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas, we've heard they've been out on mission on the boat around the Mediterranean telling non-Jewish people, Gentiles, about Jesus. That the Jewish hope, the Jewish king is theirs. And now they're back in Antioch. But verse 1 Chapter 15, verse 1, some men come down from Judea to, to Antioch and began to teach the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you take on this burden, this yoke of the law, you cannot be saved. Well, verse 2, Paul and Barnabas, they're not going to take a bar of that. They're going to take that sitting down. They get up and they argue with these people. And in the end, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to confer with the elders. And so verse 6, they start this council. 
That's what we're going to be looking at tonight, this council. And I want to break it into two parts. First, we're going to look at um, the witnesses at the council, kind of like a court scene. We've got two witnesses. Uh, We've got God and his sovereign work and the Bible. And then secondly, we're going to look at the results, the results of the, the, uh, the council, their decisions. But first, let's look at these two witnesses to God's grace. And first, God's sovereign work. Uh, would you look at verse 14 with me? I love how James summarizes God's work. Brothers, listen to me. He says, Simeon, which is another name for Peter. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. That is a beautiful phrase. This word intervene is actually kind of hard to translate. It's, it's got this sense of really caring, uh, intentional stepping in, but with this real care. That's what he's done for you and I, brothers and sisters. He's, he's stepped in caringly, intervened to make us, to make from the Gentiles a people of his very own. That's God, God's sovereign intervention. And Peter says, yeah, that's, that's what happened with me. Do you, do you remember with, with me and Cornelius, he says? So verse 7. Uh, do you remember Acts chapter 10, 10 when Peter spoke to Cornelius? Do you remember that? Do you remember how it happened? Uh, God sent an angel to Cornelius, and um, he sent a vision to Peter. And so God, through those things, brings the two guys together. Peter starts talking a bit, and the Holy Spirit descends. God kind of says, God, the Holy Spirit coming is like his stamp of approval. And he says, you're mine. The Spirit comes. You're accepted. You're my people. So, so verse 8. Look at me, with me at verse 8. Peter's talking and he says, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. So God knows their hearts. God knows everyone's hearts, and he doesn't give his spirit to unclean hearts. So these guys' hearts, these, these Gentiles, Cornelius, their hearts must have been clean. When did they get clean? When did your heart get clean? Cleansed from sin, accepted by God. When did that happen? Well, look at verse 9. He made, God, this is God, made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. All they did was trust in Jesus. Their, their hearts were cleansed. They received the Spirit. They were God's people. That's, that's how Peter experienced it anyway. And so Peter says, why would we now, if, if, if faith is enough for God, why would we go and put a burden on people? Let me make this perfectly clear, friends. Um, Becoming a Christian is not about getting this big yoke, this big burden of rules and kind of sticking them on your shoulders and thinking, right, for the rest of my life, if I can pull these rules along, if I can do all the rules well, then I might be able to be God's friend. He'll approve of me. Not at all. It's exactly the opposite of what Peter's saying. Peter says, us Jews, we kind of had this yoke and we couldn't do it. God seems to be approving of people without the yoke, just by trusting Jesus. Why would we put a yoke on them? It doesn't make any sense. On the contrary, he says, verse 11, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's just a free gift in the same way they are. Paul and Barnabas, 
are the next up at the dock. And they say the same thing. Verse 12. And the whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas tell their tales and say, you know, God, we were sharing Jesus with the Gentiles. We weren't telling anyone to be circumcised, to take on the Jewish law. But God was there. God was sovereignly intervening, rescuing people, doing signs, giving his stamp of approval. This is my work. No need for law. Friends, this is what God is doing in our world right now. Sovereignly intervening in the lives of people all over our world. No need for circumcision. No need to be Jewish. No law, just grace. So that's the first witness. The first witness at our council is God's sovereign work. God's proving, by the way, he steps into history. That is just by grace, not law. Second witness is the Bible via James. James stands up in verse 13 and says, right, okay, so we've heard how God's been sovereignly intervening in history. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, they've told us their stories. You know what? Bible says the same thing. The prophets say exactly the same thing. So look with me at verse 15. James says, the words of the prophets agree with this. Literally, they are symphonious. As it is written, after these things, God is speaking, after these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. This is speaking about sort of the Davidic royal house. A new king will come, a new Davidic king. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus, the new king. So that, verse 17, why is God setting up the new Davidic kingdom? Well, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does these things known from long ago. The very reason Jesus comes, the Davidic king, is that the world would flock in and get to know God, become his family and his people. So what God has done through Peter and Paul is exactly what he said he'd always do. And so James concludes, it's pretty obvious for him, the two witnesses are pointing in the same direction. So he says, verse 19, Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulty for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. If God is sovereignly intervening in their lives, and the Bible all along said this was the plan, why would we get in the way? Why would we give people hoops to jump through? If God says it's just by faith, why would we give people a to-do list if it's just grace? Is that straightforward? Why can't we get it? Why are our hearts still have this works thing so ingrained in them? Why is it that sometimes people come into our church and they're a little bit different to us? And we don't welcome them well. We kind of judge instead. Do you know what they hear when that happens? They hear, oh, okay, um, to be one of God's people, uh, I need to become like them. White, perhaps Asian, middle class, well-educated, professional. 
And by poor welcoming, we've denied the gospel of grace. Missionaries would sometimes do this as well. Uh, they, they would go to another, another culture and say, uh, become Christians, trust in Jesus. And the other culture would, would see them and think, okay, if we become like white people, we can become Christians. No, not at all. There's no to-do list. You just need to trust in Jesus. But see, the problem is, friends, it's, we almost can't help it that we just, our culture be, becomes imposed upon people without us realizing, and it gets called Christian. You know, to be Christian is to be white, middle-class, well-educated or something. We don't even realize it's happening. We can't, almost can't help it. We need to work really hard against it. We need to help each other live out the gospel of grace and just believe the gospel of grace. Because, you know, it's not just the visitor. Every time we ignore each other, give each other the cold shoulder, don't want to talk to each other because they're a bit different to me. Do you know what the other person is hearing? Oh, okay, so it's not grace. I have to do something different. I have to be someone different if I'm going to be acceptable in God's people. It just compounds the wrong message. But every time we welcome each other, despite our differences, even perhaps despite sin, we forgive each other, we welcome each other. We're compounding a good message. Grace. I'm welcomed by grace. Friends, God's people are a people of grace. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So the two witnesses testify, and the case seems to be pretty watertight. According to God's sovereign work, his sovereign intervention, and because of what the Bible says, we can be confident that we're all saved by grace. And so the council decides that's our decision. We're going we're to publish that. They write a letter. They send it out to Antioch. And there's kind of a couple of results from it. And I want to mention three results from this council. The first is the shortest. It's mission. What would have happened if... Paul and Barnabas had lost this argument. I'll tell you, no more Gentile mission. Paul and Barnabas wouldn't have bothered. They'd just stay with the Jews. You and I wouldn't be here, unless you're Jewish here. But they won. And like Amos says, God sent Jesus so that the nations would come flooding in. That there is no law for your friends and family to keep in order to become God's people. They don't have to jump through any hoops. They don't have a to-do list. They just have a gift to be given. Forgiveness. Life. Isn't that an impetus to go and share this news? It is for Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're back on mission again, verse 36. That's the first thing, mission. The second thing is this, unity. Because we all alike are, are saved by grace, we're united. So look at the letter with me, the letter they write and the way they address it in verse 23. Verse 23, they wrote this letter to be delivered by them. From the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers among the Gentiles 
in Antioch, Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. See, nothing about their race makes them superior at all. They're brothers. You can hear about their compassion sponsorship very shortly. The kids over there that we sponsor, we've got no superiority over them because of race or anything like that. Brothers and sisters, equal. Now, hang on, you might say. Hang on, Dan, you might say. You've been skipping a bit. You've been holding out on us. There's some rules in here. There's rules in here, isn't there? Let's look at the rules. Verse 28. What we're going to see, actually, is that the rules are all about unity as well. Verse 28. This is the letter still. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well if you keep yourself from these things. Now, these things are all related to pagan temple worship. I don't know if you realize this, but back then, uh, the pagans had all sorts of temples where they did their kind of worship thing. Now, at one level, verse 29, the letter says, you'd do well if you stayed away from those things. They're not good. But there's a deeper reason behind this, and that's unity. Look with me at verse 21. James has just listed off those same four things. And he says, we'll tell them not to do these things. For, verse 21, for since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city. And every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. There's Jewish people living by the law of Moses in every city. So wherever around the place churches grow up, there's going to be Jews around. And we want Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians to be able to worship God together. But Jews are not going to be able to worship with Gentiles if the Gentiles still do these practices that are kind of like pagan worship. Jews find that really hard to take, you know. They've had centuries of saying, stay away from that. Stay away, stay away. It's going to be very hard for them to, you know, sit down around a table together if that's what the Gentiles are going to be doing. And so, and so the apostles write, for the sake of unity, stay away from those things. By unity is the goal. Friends, you know, our, our world sometimes tells us that we can be a united people. We are a united people. One world family. We are one, but we are many. And that sort of thing. But you know, the problem is we don't have a basis for it. You're sure, we're all humans. But then we go and, you know, start judging each other and creating different kind of categories and values and different races are more superior and all, all sorts of things like that. Friends, grace is the great leveler. Grace says there is no space for pride. You are a sinful, broken person. You don't have a leg to stand on before God. You've got nothing on anyone else. There's no space for pride with grace, but equally, there's no place for despair either because though you have nothing before God, he's given you everything. He's poured out his grace on you, just like other believers, the great leveler. I was talking to Cecilia earlier, who's been on the compassion trip over to Indonesia just just now, um, and she said, I'm going to get the story a bit wrong, I'm sure, but she met some of the uh, compassion helpers, the mentors, and... um, She wanted to talk with them. And they were a little bit like, why would you want to talk with 
with us low-level helpers when you're the kind of overseas rich person pouring money into our country? What's the answer? Why? Well, grace. Because Cecilia is no better. She stands on grace just as they do. Grace prompts mission. Grace produces unity. And finally, it brings joy. Would you look with me back at verse 3? When Paul and Barnabas had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they created great joy among the brothers. Isn't that true? Don't you love to hear about people becoming Christians? God's grace at work in their lives? Maybe, maybe they're already Christian, but you see God's grace at work in their lives, especially when they're miles away from God. You think, isn't God kind? I, I sat yesterday talking with a, a woman named um, Silvana and heard her story. It was wonderful. It filled me with joy. I love it. I hope as you hear about compassion and the work they're doing and, and the work of God's grace in Indonesia, that you'll be filled with joy as well. So we have joy as we hear about God's work the work of God's grace in others, but also his grace to us. So verse 31. The letter's gone down to Antioch, to the the non-Jewish believers there. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They really were full members of God's family. They didn't have to do any works. They didn't have to become Jewish. God's grace was entirely theirs, forgiven, set free with a future. All the rest, praise God. They rejoiced. And friends, I hope it's a joy to you. Uh, Monday night, just gone, someone asked me, uh, what gives you joy? It just so happened that the day before, I'd had a joyful experience. I was uh, sitting in a park just down the way on a log, and it was a cloudy day. I don't know if you remember. It was kind of cold. Um, and the sun came out and just kind of beamed down on me. That was nice. I took my jumper off. It was lovely. And then I was reading and praying, and God just kind of went, boom! <laughs> just hit me with his grace. As I was reading and praying, I was just reflecting on how I am just insignificant, you know? I'm just little old me. I am not important, right? I'm a sinner. I waver my whole life between despair and pride. And yet God has poured torrents of grace upon me. He gave me no to-do list, no law, no hoops to jump through. He said, I forgive you. I love you. You're my child. You have everything. And do you know what the result was? joy. I was delighted. Friends, I do hope that as you reflect on God's grace towards you, that it would be a joy to you. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to sing about that grace again. Actually, first we'll say a confession, but let me pray first. Father, we do want to thank you so much for your amazing grace to us in your son, Jesus. Um, Lord, we didn't deserve anything from your hand. Um, 
We have sinned, but you have been kind. You've given us everything. Father, I do pray that you would make our church one so full of grace that we would be a joyful people, that we would be a united people, not judging each other, but welcoming each other. And Father, that we'd be a people who love to speak of that grace with others. Please be at work in us, Father. Convince us of your acceptance of us through nothing other than trusting Jesus. That's in his name we pray. Amen.